Alright, so this morning we are back in the book of Daniel. We're continuing our series through living in Babylon and the book of Daniel. And today we'll be, uh, this is our sixth week, in, sixth week in the book, and so we'll be in Daniel chapter 6. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, to there. We're going to be reading through that text this morning. That's going to be our primary text uh, we will be bouncing around uh, quite a bit in Scripture today. I like to use the Word of God just as it is. It's His Word, and so He's the one that should be preaching to us. And so uh, we're going to use that today quite a bit, but I encourage you just to hold your Bibles in, in Daniel chapter 6. As you're getting there, I just want to continue to remind you um, that the, of the theme that we have uh, going through this book. And it's, a, it's a good to continue to remind us ourselves of this each week, and quite honestly, every day. And that is contrary to appearances, God is in control, and he calls his people to live faithfully where he has put them. And we'll see that again is no different. The theme in Daniel 6 is no different uh, than, than this uh, as, we, as we continue on. And so to begin, we'll start with verse 1. And you'll see probably on the header of the chapter in your Bible, Daniel and the lion's den. Uh, this is a very familiar passage for those of you who have been raised up through the church. You've probably experienced a form of this in a uh, children's ministry or a Sunday school. In fact, the children's ministry today is going to be going over uh, Daniel 6 and, the, and the Daniel in the lion's den. It's such a wonderful passage. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to see uh, how to live in the world and, and not be of the world, uh, to live as citizens of heaven. And... Um, I, I titled this message this morning, Through the Lion's Den, not in the Lion's Den, because Daniel didn't stay there. He went through it, all right? And it's an, it's an encouragement for us, because as we'll see, as believers, we are going to face trials and tribulations, whether it's directly uh, attacking the, our Christian faith, or just in life in general. Life uh, is not fun. <laughs> There's a lot of things that we have to deal with, and... Um, but God put, takes us through it, and we are stronger because of it. That's the way he sanctifies us, and we're going to see that as the theme today. So that's why I wanted to use the title, Through the Lion's Den. Okay, so we'll begin in verse 1, and the first point that I want to make here is uh, we get a, a, a really a perfect example of how to live in the world, but still live as citizens of heaven, and live as citizens of heaven as the priority. So we see in Daniel chapter 6, starting with verse 1, it reads, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, <clears throat> to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. These men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection. With the law of his God. Okay, so we are introduced again to Darius, the new king that's come in. Remember last week we studied in chapter 5 
that Darius, at the very end of chapter 5, Darius came in and killed the previous king of Babylon, Belshazzar. And now Darius has come in. He's the king of Persia, the king, kind of a divided kingdom, the Persians and the Medes, and he is here as the king. And so we're introduced to him. And what he's doing, the very beginning piece that we see here is he's distributing power across the kingdom. We have 120 satraps and three high officials that are going to be governing even over those satraps. And the purpose of these uh, individuals, these satraps and officials, are not only to distribute power and to govern the people, but also to collect taxes or tribute uh, back to the king. That was their responsibility. And we see that uh, in verse 2, uh, so that the king might suffer no loss. Uh, the kingdom was so vast, Persia was so vast, that he had to do this in order to spread out. And it is so interesting to me, and you'll see it here in these first five uh, verses, Daniel is selected as one of the high officials to rule over these 120 satraps. And not only that, King Darius decides to make him the one that rules over even those three. Essentially prime minister. He is second in command, or going to be second in command. This is what Darius wants. And remember, don't forget, Daniel was not a Persian. Daniel was not a Mede. He was not from Babylon. He's from Judah. He's an exile from Judah. And he's living in a way to where the king wants to elevate him. He trusts Daniel so much. An exile. Someone who has no idea what it's like to be a Persian. But he learns, he obviously learned the culture. He learned the society. But yet, as we're going to see later, he did not conform completely to it. He, was still, he still held true to his biblical beliefs, his scriptural beliefs. And we'll see that ring out here. In fact, that's the one reason why they, that's the only reason that these uh, uh, officials here wanted to remove him. Was because, one, because he was going to be set above all of them as an exile. He was going to be placed above them as prime minister. And so they wanted to seek to remove him from that office. They wanted to get him out. and. The only way they could do that was to go after the law of his God because they knew that was the one thing he was going to stand firm on. He wasn't going to waver. They couldn't find anything wrong with him prior to that. What a conviction for us as believers. As citizens of heaven living in this world, looking, at, looking upon Daniel as an example for us, he was able to live in the world so much to the point that he was elevated as the prime minister or going to be elevated as the prime minister of this of this uh, empire. And the only thing that the complainers had, to, to, or that, that the officials had to go against him, to, to find, to, to remove him, was a connection with the law of his God. Daniel is the perfect example of living in the world and being a citizen of heaven. In this case, a citizen of Judah for him. He is the embodiment of what Jesus Taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. As Matthew records in chapter 5, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Light shines the brightest in darkness. 
And Daniel was serving in a dark empire. And church, this is, this, nothing has changed over the course of humanity. We are living in darkness. We are in a dark world. And light shines the brightest in the darkness. So Daniel's light, not only did it earn him some friends, especially in King Darius, it earned him some enemies as well, as we see here. And as I mentioned, the only way that the officials could find anything against him was they couldn't, they couldn't bring a skeleton out of a closet uh, to, to, to discredit him. They had to go after his God. And as we're living in this darkness today even, we have to admit to ourselves that it is becoming increasingly more difficult to live out your faith as a believer in this world. There are policies that are being, in, being made in place that are in direct contradiction with the Word of God. Okay, That is clear. There are policies and laws that are being in place or rulings that are being made that are, that are in direct contradiction with the Word of God. And we have to live through that. And Daniel is an excellent example for us. As we're going to see, he's persecuted for his faith because of how he's been living. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul reminds Timothy as he's encouraging him to be a pastor, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. John, I'm sorry, Jesus even reminds his disciples as John records John eight, um, John fifteen, starting with verse eighteen, Jesus says, "If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you: a servant is not greater than his master." If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do. All of these things they will do to you on account of my name, the name of Jesus, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. And then John encourages the believers that he wrote to in 1 John chapter 3. Verse 13, he says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And that's something that I want to use to encourage you today. We should not be surprised that there are policies and laws being made that are in direct contradiction to the Word of God. Because it goes against how we want to create a, 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 a wonderful earthly kingdom, a, a world society where it's perfect. Church, perfection is coming. It is not here today. It is coming. And the only person that's going to bring that to us is the Lord Jesus Christ. When He comes and brings His kingdom in full power and authority and glory and majesty. He is the only one that's going to change the world. Now, notice that what I just read here in, this, in the word here is that the Bible doesn't say that the people of the, 
hate you. I mean, yes, the people may hate you. There may be something to that. But it's not the focus. The focus is on the world, the cosmos, the, the, the atmosphere that we are in, the world that is controlled and, and operated, not controlled, but operated by Satan. Okay? The people are not our enemies. Who is our enemy? Satan. Satan is our enemy. Sin is our enemy. The people are not our enemies. Our war is not of flesh and blood. As Paul reminded the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6, the people who are issuing these laws or issuing these things or whatever they're doing, even in schools, people are our mission field. They should be our focus. Not of anger, but of love. And we should be living the way Daniel lived, in a way that they, the only way they could get after him was because of what he did in serving the Lord. Overall here in this chapter, and in this first section here, we see a theme playing out in the life of Daniel that has been true for the entire book of Daniel so far. Daniel was living in Babylon and Persia, but he never forgot his true identity. His true identity was from Judah. He would always be a citizen of Judah. And likewise, we should never forget our identity in Christ as citizens of heaven, living in exile. First Peter, Peter reminds us in chapter 2, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, meaning believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Wow, what words from Peter. And then finally, Paul in Philippians, he reminds them, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. next point I want to bring up in these next section of chapter 6 is the power of persistent prayer. It's interesting, and you're going to see it here as I'm going to read in a minute. What they seek to attack, what they seek to exploit from Daniel is his prayer life. It's obvious that he was a prayer warrior. He prayed three times a day, every day, as we see, as we'll see later. And so that was what they went to go after because they knew that was something that he was going to continue to do. Verse 6 reads, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. 
Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the, injun- and the injunction. In verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So we see here the satraps and the officials, they conspire together. They, they come together in agreement to destroy Daniel. It's interesting here in these words here for came into agreement. It is suggestive that the word for that phrase to conspire comes from the same root as the verb used to describe the gathering of the earth against the Lord and his anointed in Psalm chapter 2 verse 1. Psalm 2 1 reads, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, meaning Christ, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Same idea we're seeing here with these uh, satraps and officials we see in this first part of Psalm chapter 2. Now, based on what's recorded later in, in Daniel 6, it's difficult to conclude that Darius was setting himself up as some sort of a deity. I don't think that was his goal here. He, I don't think that's what he was thinking. In fact, I think what was really going on was he was basically flattered. Uh, this was an opportunity to, a, a political opportunity to rally the people, to kind of come in a united front, to come to him as the only one, as the intercessor between the people and the gods, essentially. They were, they were, it was, they were, they, uh, the, the law here or the decree was that uh, any petition that people had, they would come to him, to nothing else, to no other deity, but to, uh, but to King Darius. And so he's probably flattered in this. You know, it's interesting, this is very similar to what Nebuchadnezzar did when he uh, erected the statue and where people, he had, he had commanded people to bow down to the statue. It wasn't to Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't setting himself up necessarily as a deity. It was unite in, in, a, in an attempt to unite all of the different people to focus on one thing and to focus the, uh, the efforts of that empire. And so that's probably what's going on here uh, with this edict that, he's, that Darius is being encouraged to, uh, to sign. He's so flattered, in fact, that he probably doesn't even realize that Daniel is not with them. Notice how they say, all of the satraps uh, and the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, they're agreed. Well, not all of them were there. Daniel wasn't there, and he was one of them. The king probably didn't see that. So what we're told is that he did sign the edict. He signed it. I love Daniel's response, and it should convict us so much in how we should respond. Daniel's response, he knew that the document had been signed, and he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed just like he had been every day, three times a day. What he didn't do is he didn't go and complain that there was this new edict. He didn't go to the, run to the king and say and, and start complaining. Nor, on the opposite side, nor does he go and start praying in private. Because that's not something that he had been consistently doing. Praying in private would have just been um, succumbing to and, and agreeing with, in a sense, the decree. What does he do? He continues on his normal routine. His routine as an exile from Judah, as a Hebrew. 
prays in public, essentially. He's got his windows open, and that's how he's always done it. And he not only prays, he gives thanks in his prayer. Why was he praying this way? Why was he praying so consistently? Why was this a kind of a, a ritual, so to speak? Three times a day, every day. As we'll see later in a few weeks in Daniel chapter 9, what he's doing is essentially the same thing that Solomon uh, taught his people. And, and the way Solomon prayed to God for when the people would sin and be exiled from Jerusalem, from Israel and Judah. Solomon pleaded for God to show mercy on his land and his temple. And the way he did that was to encourage people to face Jerusalem, to face the temple. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 46-50 through 50 read, If they sin against you, meaning if, if your people, the Israelites, sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, find that interesting, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, then here in heaven, your dwelling place their prayer, and their plea. And maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive that they may have compassion on them. This is what Daniel's praying. This is the mindset behind, the context behind why Daniel is praying three times a day, so consistently, so persistently, facing the temple, facing Jerusalem. All right, moving on, we see that Daniel is accused and convicted. In verse 11, we read, Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is the one who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes petition, makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. It was obvious here Darius had realized he was caught in a pickle. He was sorry to lose a servant like Daniel, to have someone so trusting, so loyal, Someone to where he could actually make him prime minister. He's going to lose this guy. And even though he was reminded that the decree could not be changed, it was not strictly something that there, there was no other way for Darius to remove Daniel from the equation. If you recall in our studies from the book of Esther, uh, back when we were uh, doing the online-only church that we had, Greg walked us through the book of Esther. And we saw that King Ashuarius had made a decree 
that was going that they were going to wipe out the Jews. They were going to kill all of the Jews. But later upon finding out why that decree was made and, and because of Haman, uh, the, Esther later convinced King Ahasuerus to make a counter-edict, essentially making the first one null and void. So we see it's, and that was a Persian empire. Ahasuerus was a king in the Persian empire. And so they have this similar type of law that we're seeing here. Darius decided not to issue a counter-edict to save Daniel probably because he's attempting to save face. If I'm going to make a decree, it's got to, i got to stick with it. I think he also trusted the Lord. He trusted God to do what he was going to do. We even see that later on. In verse 16, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. It is important for us to understand that God is not committed to our comfort, or at least not in this life, right? Comfort's coming. He is committed to sanctifying us, drawing us closer to him, helping helping us to see who he really is, and focusing on him. He sanctifies us through our trials and our tribulations, and his grace is sufficient for us to endure. Peter reminds the believers in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, in these things that I've just said to you, believers, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, You're going through these trials. You're going to go through these trials so you can see me more clearly, so you can see Jesus more clearly and focus in on him rather than the things of this world. It's not about America. It's not about the world. It's about heaven. It's about Jesus. We see Daniel's preservation coming up here. The king commanded and Daniel was cast into the den of lions and he calls out and says, may your God save you. What an amazing thing for a pagan king to say, may your God save you. The God that you worship every day, Daniel, may he save you. In the midst of everything that the king was in charge of, he knew that Daniel trusted in his God so much to the point that he was actually going to ask God to deliver Daniel through that and suggesting that he should. How amazing of a life Daniel lived in order for the king to think that way and to respond that way when he's thrown into the den. Wow. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting no diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. 
Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? I find it amazing that he ran to the den to see if he was still alive. I wonder if he had an inkling. Daniel was still going to be there. Pretty cool. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, but they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And then the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones in pieces. So we see the king, he, he can't sleep throughout the, through the night. He's, lived, he's in luxury, he's in a palace, and yet he can't sleep. He's got everything that could be catered to him. Then you've got Daniel, who's in a warm, probably smelly lion's den. And God sends an angel to close the mouth of the lions, and he probably gets a pretty good night's sleep. What a difference. God delivered him because of his fortitude, his desire to stand firm in the midst of a world that wanted to reject him. Now, finally, the king does issue a counter-edict, as we see later. In verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders. In heaven and on earth, he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And it goes on. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So finally, we see the king's counter edict that essentially nullifies the previous edict. The king's edict, although he probably doesn't realize it, echoes sentiments from Psalm chapter 2 that I didn't finish reading. I read the first part of Psalm chapter 2, but let's finish it now. because I think it's revealing. All of Scripture is revealing, but this is interesting how the king's edict echoes what we see here in Psalm chapter 2. So beginning in verse 1, again, I read this earlier. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And here's the part I didn't read. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them with his wrath 
and terrified them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, meaning Jesus. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, a foreshadowing to what we see in Revelation, where Jesus comes back to the earth with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. King Darius is absolutely right in his proclamation and in this new decree. God is the living God, and His kingdom shall never be destroyed. In fact, the kingdom of God will never be destroyed because it does not rely on anything that happens in this world. Think about that. God's kingdom will never be destroyed because it does not rely on anything that happens in this world. I want to read an excerpt from a sermon given by John MacArthur uh, last month that I think really drives home this point and should encourage us. The kingdom of God has no connection to earthly kingdoms. It's irrelevant what happens to earthly kingdoms. The kingdom of God is not carried along in redemptive history by any earthly kingdom or kingdoms. Whatever politics the world has, whether it succeeds or fails at whatever political efforts it makes, has zero effect on the kingdom of God. Zero. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And that means death itself. Death will not prevail over Jesus building his church. Amen? So how can we endure? How do we endure knowing all of this? I think we can endure knowing that. So there's a couple of things I want to bring up and then we'll close. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul reminds the believers in Corinth, chapter 10 starting in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. How are we able to do that? To destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that's being brought upon us and raised up against the knowledge of God. How do we do that? We take every thought captive to obey Christ. And in order to do that, Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy, who is learning to be a pastor, learning to serve in a, in a church. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12, or starting with verse 12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
Here's the key. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Daniel, even though this hadn't been written yet, Daniel knew that. He knew the Scripture so well that he was able to live it and live alongside the culture and the society that he was in. The only way we are going to be able to stand against the opinions, the lofty opinions of this society and the world, the teachings of the world, is to know the teaching of God. Because that's where the truth is. And he's given it to us. It's not a mystery. You have it. You have it available. Read it. Know it. Because that's how you're going to live in this world as an exile, and as a citizen of heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today. Lord, I, I thank you for your word. Uh, I'm just so thankful for your word. Father, the, just reading through these last six chapters in Daniel and, and studying them, just, just being in Daniel has just been so fruitful and, and enriching for our lives. Father, we, we observe uh, exiles that were brought from Judah and lived in a foreign land. And they still served you. They did not waver in their faith. They stood firm with fortitude. Father, help us to live that way today. Help us to be confident in you. Knowing that regardless of what happens, you will, you're going to build your church. And death will not prevail against it. Father, we thank you for that truth. We know that you are in control of everything going on. We see that in Daniel. We see it today. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Father, I want to lift up those who are not with us here today. Those that are at home dealing with sickness or having health problems. Father, I just pray for their, their healing. I pray that you would uh, just be with them. Wrap your arms around them that they would know that you are near. And I also lift up uh, those who have family members who are, are hurting Father, help us as a church to reach out to those who are hurting, those who are in need, and be ready to be the Daniel that we saw today because of how we've been living and studying and reading your word and living it out every day.